Welcome to Rusk Insights on Rehabilitation Medicine, a top podcast featuring interviews with thought leaders in the field of PM&R from Rusk Rehabilitation at NYU Langone Medical Center and other prominent rehab medicine institutions. Your host for these interviews is Dr. Tom Elwood. He will take you behind the scenes to look at what is transpiring in the exciting world of rehabilitation research and clinical services through the eyes of those involved in making dynamic breakthroughs in healthcare. So listen, learn, and enjoy. Hello, and welcome to another episode in the Rusk Rehabilitation Podcast Series. Today's interview is one of many that will make it possible to learn about developments in the field of rehabilitation aimed at improving the lives of patients. I'm honored to have as today's guest, Dr. Jeffrey Heckman, who is a board-certified physiatrist and a University of Washington assistant professor in the Department of Rehabilitation Medicine, and he's also the director of the Regional Amputation Center at the Veterans Administration Puget Sound Healthcare System. Dr. Heckman, thank you for being here today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Dr. Jeffrey Heckman specializes in the evaluation and management of the medical and functional aspects of rehabilitation following amputation, including prosthesis prescription, phantom limb pain, and musculoskeletal injuries, as well as for arthritis-related joint pain and other age-related musculoskeletal conditions. His research interests are in the areas of mobile technology, phantom limb pain, and peer support, while his teaching interests include amputation and limb loss and prosthetics and orthotics. His undergraduate degree is from Penn State University, and his osteopathic medical degree is from the University of New England. He completed his residency training in physical medicine and rehabilitation at the NYU Langone Medical Center, Rusk Institute of Rehabilitation Medicine, and he was there from the years 2007 to 2012. So please tell our listeners what inspired you to choose a career in medicine and specialize in rehabilitation. For me, I think it it all kind of goes back to as a kid when I was playing sports and I I really always felt interested and connected with my teammates when they were injured. And so as I wanted to learn more about about health and sports related injuries, started becoming interested in becoming a team physician. And uh, that's really what led me to medicine and then ultimately to physical medicine and rehabilitation. It sounds like you made a really fine choice. Now, regarding the topic of amputation, what kinds of health problems necessitate that particular form of surgery? So primarily, amputation will occur due to four reasons, one being medical causes, primarily diabetes and complications of vascular disease. Trauma is a, is a large cause of, of amputation, certainly in our, our active service members, as well as due to motor vehicle and, and motorcycle accidents. And then you have your congenital causes of of limb deficiency and cancer-related amputation surgeries. Do you have any idea of the number of amputations that occur in the United States annually? And are there any particular parts of the body that tend to result in the greatest number of cases for this type of surgical intervention? For example, upper limb, lower limb, is there anything that kind of stands out numerically? The primary literature that we look back to was published back in, uh, in 2005, and at that point, there was felt to be about 2 million Americans living with limb loss and about 185,000 cases of amputation surgery per year. And while the digits, both uh, upper extremity and lower extremity digits, 
most commonly occur. The primary major amputations that we see due to diabetes and vascular disease are of the lower extremity and primarily below the knee. And what kinds of factors such as age can affect both the degree and the speed of recovery following an amputation? I think, you know, while age certainly plays an impact, I think more about the health and and the medical conditions related to the person's age. So if you have a 80 or 85-year-old healthy person that requires an amputation due to a spontaneous vascular event versus someone that has lived with a condition like diabetes for multiple years and maybe required insulin and ends up with, with more medical conditions such as uh, kidney disease and others, all of those things kind of snowball and, and make it very difficult for those folks to respond following the amputation surgery. So, so rather than just primarily focusing on age, we primarily focus on pre-morbid conditions, so medical conditions prior to the amputation surgery, as well as the patient's pre-morbid functional status. So prior to their amputation surgery, how were they getting around? Did they require assistance from someone? Did, were they able to walk on their own or did they require some assistive devices? So we, we focus more on the, on the conditions and the, and the life experience rather than primarily the age. And then once you make that determination and the decision is reached to go ahead with the amputation surgery, are there assessment tools available to predict the functional outcomes among these patients? And if so, what kinds of tools are available? Absolutely. So, I mean, you, you look at, again, that list of, of medical conditions and kind of understand medications that patients are taking. Certainly in the, in the majority of cases that involve vascular disease, there are studies like an ankle brachial index and arterial duplex studies that really give you an idea of the vascular status to the limb that give you a good idea as to the probability of healing at different levels of amputation. And so we work closely with our vascular surgery colleagues and our podiatry colleagues and orthopedic surgery colleagues in order to get an understanding for where may be the best healing potential at which level. And then as physiatrists, we're able to provide the potential functional status at each of those levels to really give the patient a good understanding of where they may be in the future based on the amputation surgery that must be performed. And apart from the surgeons and the physiatrists, what other members of the healthcare team tend to get involved in these situations? Certainly, when, when it comes to, you know, hospitalized cases, our nurses and our physicians, social work, uh, once we get onto the rehabilitation side of the house, uh, our physical therapists and our occupational therapists, our recreational therapists play a key role in community reintegration and trying to start thinking about, you know, returning that locus of control to the patient to allow them the opportunity to start getting back to a new normal following their amputation surgery. Well, so an awful lot of comprehensive care is necessary and teamwork to keep everybody moving toward the right goals and everything else, correct? Absolutely. And I think that's really where the physical medicine and rehabilitation training really allows us to coordinate that large team and really kind of serve as that point guard that can understand the roles of each of the, of the team members and make sure that the, the patient is receiving the highest quality of care. 
What kinds of major physical and psychological challenges after surgery are faced by patients following an amputation? And what impact do those kinds of challenges have on the rehabilitation process itself? I think certainly, you know, any surgery comes with it inherent risks. So the physical requirements of ultimately surviving a surgery and then the, the first few days following surgery are always going to be a challenge with any surgery. And then the focus from the rehabilitation standpoint is on uh, preventing uh, joint contractures, so uh, shortening of the muscles above where the amputation was performed to allow a patient to essentially become ready for the next stage, which would uh, initiate the prosthesis training, really learning how to use the prosthesis and, and how a prosthesis may benefit someone. So those are some of the, the, the physical challenges. I think the, the, the psychological challenges are, are even more profound and, and really individualized and, and require a, a customized and, and personalized treatment plan. I mean, understanding a patient's support system and where they're at in their life's journey and, and being able to incorporate rehab psychology into a case or, or bring in a, a peer visitor or someone who's certified and trained to visit someone following an amputation surgery that has gone through that experience themselves and can speak to, from, from a personal standpoint, what that means and really allow the patient to speak to an experienced peer and allow that person to listen to them. Earlier, you had mentioned that an effort is made before surgery to figure out the health status of the patient who's going to undergo this procedure. Regarding mental health problems such as depression or an anxiety disorder or something along those lines, would those situations appear to play a subsequent role in determining rehabilitation outcomes? And are efforts made to assess the mental health status pre-surgery and somehow use this information in the overall treatment plan that eventually is going to have to materialize? Absolutely. I, I mean, understanding the impact of the, the psychological aspects following amputation surgery, understanding, as I mentioned earlier, not only the, the pre-morbid medical conditions and status, uh, but as well as the mental health status. So understanding how those conditions are currently being treated and partnering with the, the mental health team in order to optimize uh, rehabilitation outcomes. So we have some tools in order to assess depression, things like suicidality. So we use the, the PHQ-9 and the first two questions of the, the PHQ-9, sometimes referred to as the PHQ-2, really give you a good idea of the patient's current status regarding depression. And then the last item, the, the final item of the PHQ-9, the, the ninth item, asks about suicidality. So we really feel that it's important following amputation to assess depression and suicidality at each clinical encounter. Following the amputation, can prosthetic devices be used in every situation? And if not, what kinds of reasons would prevent their use? Not necessarily. And this, this is probably the hardest part of my job, working with veterans with limb loss following a, a high-level lower extremity amputation. So an above-the-knee amputation can be extremely challenging to have a benefit from the prosthesis. So most of my patients, when they come in to see me in our rehabilitation clinic after they're healed following their amputation surgery, their goal is to return to walk. 
And many of these people, due to the medical conditions that led to their amputation surgery, had been impacted functionally even prior to the amputation surgery and had difficulty getting around and maybe utilized either assisted devices such as walkers or things like wheelchairs. And following the amputation surgery, understanding that prosthetic technology exists, the majority of our patients come in and they say, well, I just want to return to walk. And while that's a, a good goal and a, and a, and a focus of, of what we do, it's not always possible. It's not always safe to be able to control a prosthetic device where you have to control both a knee joint and a foot and ankle joint. And the benefit of the work that goes into controlling that may not always be worth it. So we try to educate our patients on the cost of work of utilizing a prosthesis and what the benefit may be. There are Medicare functional classification levels that really guide physicians and prosthetists into understanding the prosthesis prescription. So, so our job as, as leaders of the uh, clinic team is to really educate the patient on as to what we feel their potential functional status may be, and then pair that with their personal functional goals in order to ensure that their goals are, are realistic and that we can really charter a course and develop a, a rehabilitation plan of care that's going to be safe and appropriate for each patient. Assuming that a patient is an excellent candidate for a prosthetic device, are there any instances where the patients decide to cease using these particular implements from the standpoint perhaps of frustration or they feel that it's just too difficult to use and they stop using it? Are there any factors like that that would end up causing them to cease using their prosthetics? Absolutely. And and I think, you know, these are those challenging cases that, that we try to incorporate those education and, and counseling techniques early on. Because as the experienced providers, we're able to see and, and understand from experience what may possibly happen down the road. And so while we see a patient that may have challenges in, in achieving their goals, we will work with them alongside them and being able to, to trial things to give them the opportunity to exceed. But many times during those trials, patients will come back into the clinic and say, you know, I'm glad I had the opportunity to try. Walking is just too difficult or using these devices is, is just too difficult. And the cost of the work is not providing the benefit that I hoped. And therefore, they return to other mobility devices such as wheelchairs or crutches in order to get around because really when you think about it, it really comes down to efficiency. If you want to stand up and, and go from here to there, or if you need to get up and go to the bathroom, you want to do that in the most efficient way. And if you had to put on a device that was difficult for you to use and heavy and maybe cumbersome, that may not be your, your choice of mobility. And there may be easier ways to make that happen. So we try to work together with our patients make them aware that this is not a failure of their care. This is certainly learning from the experience and identifying the most efficient form of mobility. As a, an enabling type of approach, is it appropriate to use targeted muscle re-innervation to restore physiologic continuity, perhaps as a means of possibly enabling more intuitive prosthetic control by the patient? 
targeted muscle reinnervation is is a really exciting uh, opportunity for the most intuitive control for upper extremity prosthetic limbs. So targeted muscle reinnervation has been developed by Dr. Todd Kaiken, who's a physiatrist in Chicago. And it, it really takes nerves that were previously, prior to the amputation, controlling sacrificed muscles. So following the amputation surgery, that muscle is no longer there, no, no longer has a job. So you take the nerve that's going to that muscle and you reroute it to, a, to another muscle that we can then, utilizing advanced prosthetic technology, we can allow that muscle to then control functions of an upper extremity uh, prosthetic device. So it's, it's really exciting. It, it gives us more potential and possibilities with, with upper extremity prosthetic devices. However, I think it's still really in the, in the early phases. I think the, the idea of intuitive control is the right pathway for our uh, patients with upper extremity amputation. I think the, the cognitive burden of utilizing an upper extremity prosthetic device is high. The idea that you're using muscles that are not used to controlling a certain activity and you're trying to retrain a patient to say, you know, extend their elbow and that is going to equal opening their hand. Trying to to wrap your head around that and trying to kind of train that in can be very difficult. Whereas if you can apply technology and innovation, and now the patient is thinking, okay, open my hand, and you've rerouted that nerve to allow a signal from a muscle to control opening a hand, then it becomes much more intuitive. So I think that is absolutely the direction that we need to continue in. And I'm really excited at, at all of the potential that's been coming out of upper extremity prosthetic research to make it easier for our patients with upper extremity limb loss to control these advanced devices. Dr. Heckman, I'm going to conclude part one of this interview by thanking you for sharing your insights with our listeners about several important topics pertaining to the care of patients who've undergone an amputation. A second part of this interview will be made available on a separate occasion, and our listeners are invited to access it also. Thanks, Tom. Thank you again for joining us. You can learn more about Rusk at nyulangone.org slash Rusk. Also, be sure to follow this podcast on Twitter at Rusk Podcast.